Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Coffee Podcast, your weekly blend of motivation, encouragement, education, and insights into all things medicine for junior doctors and medical students in South Africa. Welcome to episode 22, and on this week's episode of the podcast, I interview Dr. Nishlin Naidu, a consultant in the Department of Surgery at Charlotte McTrekker Johannesburg Academic Hospital and a fellow in colorectal surgery at Wits University. Dr. Naidu gave me a fantastic insight into his journey in medicine and his decision to become a surgeon, as well as the algorithm that took him down the path to becoming a colorectal surgeon with all of the nuances and subtleties about that specific subspec. I think this is a great episode for anyone interested in surgery and the various subspects within surgery or a student going into surgery rotations in their clinical years and junior doctors working in surgery maybe during internship or medical officer time. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I'm sure you will as well. So without any further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Nishla Naidu. Welcome to the Dr. Coffee podcast, Dr. Nishla Naidu. Thank you, Simon, for having me on your podcast. It's a real honor to be here. Thank you for accepting the invitation, and we're excited to find out all about colorectal surgery. And before we dive into your speciality, let me ask you the question we ask all of our uh, invited guests. Where did you do your medical school training, and where did you do your junior doctor years, so your internship and comserve, things like that? I did my medical school training quite some time ago. So it was in UKZN, mm -hmm. Nelson Mandela School of Medicine. Mm -hmm. And I was it called it called that? Yeah. So yeah. I, I think it's still called Nelson mm -hmm. Mandela School of mm -hmm. Medicine, if I can recall properly. <laughs> uh, I finished in around 2011. And uh, it was obviously on a five year program. Oh, okay. And we then changed to a six year program during the course of my time. So did they tell school. you while you were doing your five years, oh, by the way, you have to do an extra year or did you complete a five year? So I completed the five year, but there was obviously a gap um, in my fourth year where they decided to go back into the six year program. Mm -hmm. So the new lot of, of medical students coming in as first years would obviously revert okay. back to the old six so year program. Like, yeah, so I, I <laughs> dodged a bit of a bullet. Uh, so it, it, it was great. But obviously now that that entire syllabus was not crammed, yes. it was spread out appropriately, sure. I feel, over, over a six-year period. Um, that enabled people to obviously learn a lot better yeah. and do their basic sciences a little bit better as well. Okay. We obviously didn't have a GIMP program in KZN. Mm. And that's something that's been established at WITS, which is obviously fantastic because, I mean, you're a GIMP yeah, yourself. Yeah, I, I, I benefited you? from it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I, so I finished in 2011. I then went on to do my internship at Mahatma Gandhi and Addington Hospital. Okay. And that was a two-year period. And, and, and are those two hospitals linked? Like you do some rotations at different hospitals? Yes, correct. So I did surgery at Addington. That was lovely. It was on the beach. Uh, anesthesia and orthopedics. Surgery on the beach. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's the way I thought about it. But, uh, you know, the hospital's on the beach. So, oh, wow. you know, after work was pretty cool because you could go out to the beach. Amazing. And this was just after the World Cup. So everything was developed down yeah, at the Durban wow. beachfront. So that was fantastic, just doing that block there. Um, the rest of the time was spent with pediatrics, mm -hmm. uh, internal medicine, um, and family medicine, obviously, done at Mahatma Gandhi Hospital. Is the setup similar to the way that Helen Joseph and Rahima Musa are the same hospital complex, but different rotations are done? 100% correct, yes. It's exactly like that. Okay. So it, it was good because you got that exposure to learn uh, from two different institutions. Because obviously, no matter where you go, 
as much as hospitals you think are the same, they actually are quite different. Which one was better for you? Which one did you enjoy more? Probably Addington. Okay, because of surgery? Well, not really surgery. I just like the vibe of the okay. hospital. It was yeah. really cool. I love my internship years. Yeah. I really look forward to it. Uh, it's something I think about quite a lot. My medical school is just a, bur- a bit of a blur. <laughs> but um, Your memory only starts at day one of internship. Correct, yeah, because that's when you're thrown into the deep end and uh, you start working, obviously. And going from studying to working is a big change for most sure. people. Lots of people struggle with it. Did you feel well prepared for internship? Did no. you feel like your med school was adequate training? No. And, I didn't and feel as, aside from the five years versus six years thing, you know, did you were you competent, you were confident in what you were doing? No, not at all. And you know, that and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and I I think interns need to understand that. Mm. That you're gonna go into a new environment, you don't know what to expect. And it's okay to not be confident. Sure. That confidence comes with experience and managing patients and watching and observing how other seniors manage patients sure. and learning more. So, yeah, I was quite anxious going into internship. Oh, wow, really? And, yeah, you slowly develop as you go on in your career. So it's nothing to be disheartened by, you know, if you are a bit anxious about internship. Yeah. So I think especially for those who have just graduated and have maybe been placed at a, an unfamiliar surrounding, like let's say you or a VITS graduate that had been placed in another province. Yes. You know? So you're now going to a hospital complex where you don't know where anything is. Mm. Added on top of that, you know, the, the gaps, you know, the chapters you didn't read or the cases you didn't get to see. Um, it can be quite unnerving. So it's, it's comforting to know that no one expects you to know everything, you know, as an intern. Um, and then after internship, you said you did ComServe? In Kimberley Hospital. Okay. So, yeah, uh, during my internship, actually during medical school, I decided... You know, surgery is probably something up my alley. I just needed to do something with my hands. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know what. The dream was always plastics. Oh, wow. But uh, that slowly faded away over time. And I think uh, I wanted to try a little bit of, of whatever I could. Had you rotated through plastic surgery before? No. So, so what was the allure of plastic surgery? Dr. Nano 210. <laughs> okay. So, yeah cosmetic yeah stuff. you wanted to you wanted to like yeah, i wanted to be that guy and i wanted to be that guy and do some complex yeah. flaps and yeah. uh, things but no because no, in our setting plastic surgery is very much like tied in with trauma and burns and not just mm. you know people who want a boob lift you know yeah exactly so you know the the cosmetic part of it was something i was always interested in cosmetic dermatology was also something i was interested in as a student but obviously, you don't get that sort of exposure during your internship years. Sure. You get a very short period of time spent in dermatology. I'm sure even with you mm-hmm. and the current rotations that you guys have. So interestingly, for us at Charlotte, there was no rotation as an intern through dermatology. So all of our training during was as, an, as a student. Mm-hmm. And even then, like you say, it was minimal. You know? Yeah. But things change. Yeah. So uh, that's the interesting part about your career in medicine is that uh, you'll find something that you just like and yeah. it can come out of nowhere, which yeah. is what happened with surgery. Yeah. So I chose Kimberley because I thought it would give me variety. The reason I, I, I say that is because it's a, it's a tertiary institution and it, obviously I, the Northern Cape is the largest province in the country yeah. uh, with the smallest population. Oh, wow. So it's a good place to learn from. There are no registrars there. It's okay. essentially run by consultants, registrars, I'm sorry, uh, medical officers and community service doctors wow. and interns. 
So it's a really good place to learn to get exposure and experience before why, you... Why no uh, registrars? Is that because there's no medical school affiliated? The medical school affiliated with them is essentially in Bloemfontein. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a bit of a drive from Bloem to Kimberley. It's about 150Ks, yeah. if I remember correctly. Sure. Uh, I'm not sure if things have changed, but when I was there, you know, they weren't really rotating registrars readily through surgery. Sure. And, uh, you know, they, they had their own reg set up in Bloom mm-hmm. at uh, Universitas mm-hmm. and so forth in Pelinoma. But for the most part, you know, I, I enjoyed that time in Kimberley. I did six months of neurosurgery wow. and then I tried my hand at it. Look, I have a lot of respect for neurosurgeons. It just mm. wasn't my cup of tea. Mm. And then I did general surgery and loved it. So, you know, I, I stayed on for another year after that in Kimberley as a medical officer. Okay, so so you chose Kimberley. Had you heard any good reports about it? Has Had anyone influenced your decision to go to Kimberley? Yes. Okay. So I, I did quite a bit of research and I spoke to guys that were from there. In fact, in my first year of internship, I actually got in contact with some of the HODs at Kimberley and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, emailed them and said, you know, I have every intention of coming to this hospital. Oh, wow. And I, I didn't realize that at that point, not many people wanted to go there. Okay. So, you know, uh, applying to go to Kimberley wasn't a problem. And, uh, yeah, being out in a, in sort of a peripheral institution, and it actually isn't. It's yeah. central. Yeah. Uh, it, it made it, it was a real advantage, I feel. When you, when you say it's central, it's like literally central because central. It's, yeah. it's equidistant from Joburg and Cape Town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the same distance to everything in South Africa. Yeah. It's just far. <laughs> it's, it's just in the middle of nowhere. And, and what was the change like going from Addington, where you said like inverted commas surgery on the beach, to now that you are in the dry Karoo? <laughs> far away from everything else yeah so look i grew up in durban and mm-hmm. this was the first time i'd left home yeah so and uh, during internship i stayed at home as well so it was different oh, wow. it was a change for me yeah but i loved it you know yeah. I, I, a lot of my classmates or guys that were in med school with me joined me in kimberley so Amazing. it was great and you know some of them are currently working with me here in in surgery and they're fellows in some other subspects in surgery so one's oh, wow. in vascular surgery one's in an hbb fellow at the moment so and i stayed with the three of with the two of them sorry in kimberley together and we did our comserve together and That's we were really all cool. working yeah back here we found ourselves back in the same place so it's amazing you know that network sort of stays and it's pretty cool yeah so it, it's nice having people you know around and and coming up uh, to yeah. johannesburg so it, it, it awesome. was fantastic yeah. so the surgery bug bit and that's yeah. a bit fairly early for you. It sounds like during internship, you were like, right, surgery, you were starting to make some um, preparations for the mm-hmm. future path. So at what point um, did you then say, okay, I've got enough time to write my primaries? Was it after that second year? Like That second year sounds like it was ready to lay a foundation. Yes. So, so when did you say, right, I'm ready, I want to do a registrar? It was during my MO time. Okay. So I think I spent six months in in surgery at Kimberley and this was the last six months of the year I think one of the more nerve-wracking things for me at that point was where am I going to get a job Mm. and so I applied to a lot of places and I applied to Kimberley and got that post in Kimberley and I stayed on for another year just to gain a bit of confidence you know surgery a lot of surgery has to do with both operating and managing patients and sick and critically ill patients and I just felt I needed a bit more confidence especially in theater with Mm. basic stuff so during that time, I, I wrote my primaries. And it's good being in, an envi- in a surgical environment when you're writing primaries because a lot of the pathology that's asked in the exam 
comes out in that exam. Okay. So as much as you can read and pass an exam, just having that practical exposure and experience enables you to answer that multiple choice yeah. question. And being in a uh, hospital that was largely consultants and MOs with no registrars, I imagine that you got that theater time. Yes. You got to do a lot of work with your hands and develop your skills practically. Yes, of course. Awesome. And the fantastic thing about it was that the consultants that worked in Kimberley Hospital, uh, two were trained at Cape Town. And one was trained at Fitz, and uh, the other was a Cuban surgeon. Very experienced guys, and I learned a lot from them. Even up to today, I still practice some of the things that I learned as a medical officer. And, yeah. uh, you know, I have safe outcomes with my patients doing it the way that I was taught initially. Sure. So it's not that I was learning bad habits. Is And a lot of people have that stigma or that, not really that stigma, but that the thought that if you're going to a peripheral hospital, you may not necessarily learn the right thing. Mm. But it's not always the case, especially if you've got good supervision. Yeah. So I think Kimberley is one of those fantastic hospitals to be in because no matter what field you want to go in, whether it's pediatrics, medicine, radiology, they generally have a good good bunch of consultants and young consultants that constantly rotate through. Awesome. So I would advise people if they're looking at you know surgery, it's a good place to consider yeah. applying yeah yeah and for the viewers and the listeners taking notes they're you know, writing down kimberley as one of their options for internship and community service yeah it's also a vibe so yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool when you're there you know like you you meet up with a lot of friends and you have a lot of fun afterwards. i wouldn't immediately associate kimberley with anything other than the big hole you know funny <laughs> enough i didn't even go there oh wow. <laughs> so in two years for two years there. but i didn't go I didn't, I didn't even see the big hole but uh, i made a lot of friends Okay. And um, some are actually not even in surgery. It is one that's in a neurosurgery consultant now. Sure. Um, the one that's in anesthesia, two or three that are in anesthesia. So Amazing. it's great to see that the people that were with me as a medical officer and in my comsurgery are here yeah. doing their their time as registrars and now have finished as consultants. Awesome. So it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. So we've heard from previous guests about the journey through general surgery, which basically involves having at least written your primaries beforehand. And, you know, everyone advises doing your courses, your ATLS, your basic surgical skills, things like that before you start your reg time. And then after you've done your two years of junior reg time, you reapply for your senior reg post. At least that's how it works in the bit circuit where uh, having that senior reg post involves, you know, your MMED and you've at least written your primaries and things like that. At what point in your general surgery training did you start to decide that colorectal surgery was where you would want to go? So I, I think the first part for me, once I made that decision to do general surgery, was obviously to apply for a reg post. Okay. So I applied everywhere. Yeah. I had written primaries and thought that, you know, Hey, you know what? I've got a whole lot of cases on my logbook. Great. Got my primaries. Great. I've got this long-standing experience. I've got over a year now of experience mm. and my comserve time and I did some neurosurgery time. Great. I've done some courses, ATLS and so forth. You know, let me apply for my surgical, you know, reg time. Yeah. And initially I had this thought that and people would always say, you know, you need intermediates. You know, mm. try and get some ICU time. Mm. And I also want to make it clear that it's not the focus now, you know, as much as primaries are a requirement, the most important thing is having some research component to apply for a general surgery post. So it's something that is held in very high regard in your interview process. So whether it's you involved in a simple audit, Mm -hmm. whether you're collecting data, it goes on your CV and it's something that you can elaborate on in that interview. And if you interview well, you'll get a post. 
you know. So I, I think people need to focus more on research, getting their primaries. You know, the, the practical aspect of surgery will be taught to you during your time as a registrar. And you'll also rotate through ICU as a registrar as well. Mm. So don't become disheartened and think just because you don't have intermediates that you shouldn't apply for general surgery. Maybe different with other subspects, but certainly for general surgery, you know, having that, that, that primaries, some surgical exposure, and then obviously some research is held in, in very high regard. Because yeah. the way other people have described it is research and, and publications are academic currency. Correct. Where you show that you've not only know how to do research, but you can generate research, can generate information that's going to affect patient outcomes and how you, how you make decisions as a clinician. So that's great. So that's great advice. And then colorectal surgery in particular, what was it about that that grabbed you that's, you know, bums, <laughs> if you want to call it that. So, you know, which is... Which is can the, you elaborate on that a little bit? So, so, so you know, colorectal surgery is, is you know, uh, colorectal surgeons in general are a weird bunch of surgeons. You know, we have our own sense of humor. Is it toilet humor? Yeah, most of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. So most people don't get it. But, uh, you know, I started my reg time in a colorectal unit okay. and really enjoyed the work that I was doing, especially the cancer work and, and looking at the amount of operable patients that we actually had. Cool. And it was great to see that. And then obviously getting that exposure in theater with these low anterior resections and AP resections and some of the proctology work and colonoscopy uh, and endoscopy. I, I really enjoyed that and mm. I just felt that you know, there's so much of variation, so much of operable patients that you've got that this is probably the, the area that I would go into and saw, you know, fairly good outcomes with these patients. You know, That's always encouraging ex- when you can exactly. see that you are actually making a difference. Exactly. And that, that was a big defining factor for me, you know, um, in a, a, a lot of subspects, there are patients where you have a, a lot of inoperable patients. But mm. generally in colorectal surgery, you know, we have a large volumes and we're dealing with operable patients that have decent outcomes mm. uh, colorectal cancer as you know is something that's growing quite rapidly chadwick boseman recently yeah. black panther yeah. demised and wow. there was an awareness created around that and we're starting to see this this younger group and younger population of people that are getting sporadic colorectal cancer and it's interesting to see you know we don't have an established screening program in this country and it is a bit controversial i'm sure they are working on it but for the most part, it's, it's, it's something that's definitely growing in volume and it's a, something that we're going to see a lot more of. I think it's really useful when, um, whenever somebody who is a high-profile individual, whether they're an actor or a statesman or a sportsman, whenever somebody goes through their own health challenges and it, it can be useful to help to educate the public and highlight things. I mean, for example, with Chadwick Bosman, now if you start to say to a 40-year-old black man that he needs to have a C-scope just as a screening, you know, because there is somebody to relate to, he can now say, oh, I can accept that now. Whereas somebody would go, well, I'm 40. I'm very young, doc, you know. Um, so uh, it's great that colorectal cancer, from what you're describing, is something that can make a difference in patients' lives. I mean... I'm just thinking from a functional point of view to be able to restore normal bowel functioning to somebody who's obstipated and you know you're able to resect bowel and now they can go to the toilet by himself. You're restoring dignity to a patient. That yes. must be really encouraging. Yes, yes. So it is good. Obviously, you know, it, it's 
it's quite debilitating having a stoma and there's certain stigmas around it but yeah. you know generally we have good stoma therapy care we counsel our patients quite well and you know we've got a good colorectal unit with it said bara and and jobagen obviously there are things that need to be ironed out because it's in state mm. but certainly for the most part we do a lot for our patients yeah. we work as a as a unit we have a, a multidisciplinary team meetings with these cancer patients so it's it's great to see that um and uh, yeah so i really enjoyed that that aspect of surgery i saw the outcomes and i loved it so would, would all would all general surgery registrars rotate through colorectal is that something that it's, I mean, it's under the umbrella of general surgery but what kind of rotations do you get to pick so generally colorectal surgery forms a large portion of general surgery itself okay. so whether you're in a peripheral hospital rotating there whether you're in a colorectal unit or a mm-hmm. GIT unit you will mm-hmm. definitely have colorectal exposure and you, you know it's it's something that i got a lot of during marriage time and i enjoyed it i loved it and that's the path i chose to go on to and obviously there there's variations in the type of surgery you can do so apart from you just doing open surgery there's a lot of laparoscopic work that we do okay. and now obviously robotic surgery is is something that seems to be growing so i was recently in switzerland at the st gallen european colorectal congress oh, wow. and got to play on the da vinci robot and sure. it's something that's growing in our country i mean crutiskyo now has a robot and it's great to see that you know there's still robot there's quite a lot of robotic work that you can do in terms of colorectal surgery. What's, what's the advantage of doing robotic surgery? I, I know the pelvis is a very small space compared to, you know, the rest of an open abdomen, you know, uh, you're not just pulling things out and putting them back in. You, the pelvis is a very small space to work in. So that's one obvious advantage. What are some of the other pluses or, or gains from using robotic surgery? Well, you know, at the moment it is a bit controversial, but the most part in cost-benefit ratio, if you can do something laparoscopically safely and you have a good outcome, then sure. hey, it's fine. If you can do something open and have a good outcome, then it's fine. But generally, we see the shortened morbidity period. So mm-hmm. within that 30-day period, they have usually a shorter hospital stay and better outcomes from that, mm-hmm. um, lower pulmonary complications and mm-hmm. so forth. So it's, it's great to see that robotic surgery is something that's growing. It's just the cost Okay. To actually undergo something like this yeah. is, is obviously quite expensive. But the more we do, the more we'll know. Mm. And I think that needs to happen. So this is still like cutting edge stuff. With yeah. So look, there are big trials that looked at the robot and non-inferiority trials as well, comparing, you know, uh, laparoscopic versus open surgery and where they provide some form of oncological benefit. But for me, the most part is that your patient gets out of the hospital as fast as possible. Sure. Um, and it's not really the oncological. So there are a lot of people doing open surgery still. And it's safe to still do open surgery. It's safe to do laparoscopic and it's safe to do robotic surgery. So certainly it's something that's going to be growing. You're going to see a lot more of it in the country. And it's, it's great to see that. Mm. Um, look, at the moment in state, we don't really have that infrastructure. Okay. Um, but it's growing because Krujuskir... I think has a robot now and it's wow. it's great to see that they are doing yeah lots of robotic work i think it's critical so you've mentioned a, a number of techniques and a number of different surgeries that fall under the umbrella of colorectal do you have any procedures that you're particularly passionate about that you, when you see that on your theater list you're like yes i get to do this colonoscopies colonoscopies, oh, colonoscopies. Really, hey? i have this weird I, I don't know why. I really love doing colonoscopies. Okay. Look, a lot of medical GITs do colonoscopies. Sure. I love interventional colonoscopy. It's something I like. Um, and obviously, laparoscopic surgery. So I'm a big fan of art, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not artistic. 
I have. You I, don't draw or paint. I, oh, or, hell no. I can't. <laughs> so you look, you I, paint I have, with a scalpel. Yeah. So that's the thing. You know, like for me, a, a good, safe operation to me is art. Okay. You know, dissecting through a bloodless plane with a diaphragm, you know, going yeah. down, working in the pelvis or taking out a colon, you know, to, to me, that, that truly is art. Sure. And um, yeah, I, 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 I love it. And, you know, that scalpel or diaphragm, whatever it is that you're using is an extension of your hand. Mm. And it's an extension of you. And mm. it's your canvas. And having a safe outcome and looking at the smile on your patient's face five days later is priceless for me. Fantastic, yeah. yeah. And are there any surgeries that you're like, oh, this is actually, you know, it's the drudgery of what you do. Are there any surgeries that you don't particularly enjoy? It could be, like you mentioned, outcomes. It could be because they don't particularly have good outcomes. It could be that they are long surgeries. It could be that they're very technical surgeries. What is it? Uh, any, any surgery that you're like, mm, these are my least favorite to do? The, look, we do get advanced cancers. We do get complex Crohn's disease patients. Sure, sure. We do inflammatory get bowels. Infl- infl- exactly. Yeah. We do get patients with a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction. We, and we get a lot of patients that have had multiple surgeries and obviously the redo surgery mm. becomes quite difficult. Intestinal failure is something that is obviously growing in certain parts of the country. We have units. Is, that, is it as simple failure, as just adhesions and a tricky abdomen or is there more to it than that? It, it's, it's just a difficult plane to work with at times. It can be difficult surgery to deal with and especially with advanced cancer, sure. locally advanced cancer. Multivisceral resections can also be quite difficult and challenging. So, you know, these are things that do challenge us, but it's this challenge that we take on yeah. safely. And we would obviously prehabilitate and our patients beforehand as much as possible. It's different, it's different with an emergency case, but definitely with the elective stuff, we try and optimize our patients as best as possible and mm. try and get the safest possible outcome. So, you know, we discuss this as a unit. We don't make unilateral decisions. It's fantastic because we work in a team. And having that team environment makes our outcome so much better. Yeah. So, Doc, if I can ask you this, you've already given us a sense of what colorectal surgery is about. Do we have any misconceptions? Do you, do you see people having mis, uh, myths or misconceptions about colorectal surgery, especially junior doctors or people who, who are just kind of dabbling in general surgery? You know, well, you know, people don't like doing PRs. People don't like dealing with stool and... You know, but the thing is that as much as it is part of the job, the work and the surgery itself is actually beautiful. And okay. I encourage people to, to you know, you can watch videos on YouTube. You can join me in theater. You're welcome to join me on a colonoscopy list. And the surgery itself is fantastic. Yeah. Challenging, but fantastic. So there's not actually that much poop involved. There is. <laughs> there is. There is. Definitely there is. But I think that that, just weigh your options out. Yeah. When I mean, you're choosing a specialty. Poop versus vomit versus amniotic fluid versus urine. You know, different subspecies have mm. their, their bodily fluids. It's not that bad, right? No, exactly. And for me, I look, we do work hard. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Uh, we do acute care surgery as well in our hospital. Mm-hmm. So we'll be managing emergencies and so forth. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I feel personally that I chose this path because it allowed me to have a better quality of life as well, oh, wow. which also was important for me. So I took that into consideration Yeah, because I like doing elective work. I like being in theater. It's my peace time, you know, so I, I love being there. I love being in the colonoscopy suite. I love doing an upper endoscopies as well mm. and being a surgical gastroenterologist in its true nature. But 
you know, it's it's a difficult thing because people don't seem to understand that because sure. you don't get a, that exposure. And I'm sure, sure you have it as well. So, yeah, I mean, uh, well, yeah. look, as an intern, um, our tasks are mo- mostly administrative, mm. if I can put it that way, uh, which is not to say that it's necessarily that everywhere, um, but it's still part of learning. You know, we're still, we're still learning how to do basic, basic things. We can't get thrown into the deep end too soon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, 100%. So, Dr. Naidu, um, the landscape of colorectal uh, as it stands or how it is at present, there's robotic surgery, there's laparoscopic surgery. What's the direction going forward? If you were to look into your crystal ball for colorectal surgery in 10, maybe 15 years' time, when our listeners will be specializing in colorectal surgery, what, is, what do you see the landscape holding? So, I'm very proud to be working at WITS. Mm-hmm. And I I don't want to put colorectal just in one lump. Okay. I'd like to put surgery in general in that lump. And I say that because the one thing I'm very proud of and happy about that we do quite well here is the encouragement of gender equity okay. and equality. And it's something we try as much as possible to focus on. When I finished my FCS exams, we had more female surgeons finishing than male surgeons. And these are mothers with kids. And, you know, we try as much as possible to support people that have families so that they don't get disheartened if they want to do surgery. And having that support system within our, which we still are working on, Mm. and transformation as well in itself, you know, definitely. It's it's something that we're really trying as hard as possible to work on. It's something that moving forward, it it seems to be changing, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. Uh, and whether you're non-binary, whether you're male, you're female, whether you're a dad like yourself, yeah. you know, with kids, you know, it's don't, so comforting hearing you speak about people with kids, yeah, you know, and talk about like work-life balance as a surgeon because yeah. you don't immediately associate surgery with any kind of balance. <laughs> no, I, look, at, at the end of the day, you can't you you can't deny that it, no matter what you choose to do, mm. whether it's within medicine or mm. outside of medicine, to be successful, you have to work hard. Sure. That doesn't change. Yeah. You know, it, you don't have to be smart. I saw your old podcast and I was watching some of them and people were like, doctors have average IQs and I 100% <laughs> agree with that. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room we're, and we are not. Yeah. You know, we're constantly learning. But you have to put the graft in. And reg time, wh- wherever you do reg training, mm. reg training is hard. Mm. Exactly. But there is support. Mm. And and the other thing, obviously, is this mental health awareness. So it's, it's, it's okay if, an intern comes to me and tells me I need a mental health day. Sure. I'm not okay. Sure. You know, uh, and people still have the stigma. Of, oh, mm. No, uh, you know, what's my consultant going to say? It's okay. We understand. We were there at one point and what we want to do is make it better for, mm. for the new generation coming in. Because at the end of the day, you know, I'm sure my prof would want me to be better than he or she wow. is. And I would want you to be better than me at the point depending yeah. on whatever it is you want to choose sure. to do. So I think we must have that support structure for the junior doctors and show encouragement to them. And uh, I, I don't know if there's times where you've had, you know, like family responsibilities and you've had to leave, uh, you know, like have, yeah. have we been supportive of you? So actually last last week, I mean, you bring it up, but last week uh, I actually asked my consultant, can I have some permission to just dash out to my child's prize giving? You know, they have the prize yes. givings at the yeah. end of the year. 
And and he without even flinching, was like, yeah, absolutely go. And I was like, oh, like I didn't know that I could even ask permission, you know. So I think it's one of those things where you just need to be given license to ask at least. You know, people are too afraid to ask, but if you don't ask, you won't won't receive. Yeah. So that fear stigma also. We're trying sure. to establish this new culture. I mean, there's a lot of woke individuals, <laughs> the new generation. You know, I'm a millennial, but the Gen Zs are a lot different. Yes. And uh, it's fantastic, I think. And we need to breed a new culture of medicine. And it's it's great to have vibrant people around. Yeah. And we want to try and establish this culture where you can speak to anybody, whether it's the senior most prof or the junior most doctor. Just to be a little and, bit more collegial and, and work exactly. together, you know. You know, having that, 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 that cooperation amongst colleagues is very important yes so i think that even though we're working in a resource constrained environment it's stressful for everyone Mm. the one thing that you know i can see changing slowly but is changing is that we tend to work as a team better okay and it is improving so Um, in 10 years time is that going to be have reached some kind of utopian zenith where it's now at, it's, we have no problems, or will there always be an element of... I think there'll always be an element of problems, but the most important thing is that we have some way to deal with it, mm. and we have some, some approach to dealing with these things. And we've had meetings before where we've had you know, gender equality meetings, and we, we've had meetings where we've, we've asked people, you know, what are your concerns? Mm. What can we change? What can we mm. do better? Mm. You know, and it's something that I is very important to me, and I like diversity. And the fantastic thing about working here is that there's this brilliant, diverse culture Amazing. of this new generation and old, and everybody is trying as much as possible to work together. And th- this new culture is being bred into surgery. So that's why I just wouldn't want to talk about colorectal alone. Sure, I understand. But so junior doctors for... coming into the fold mm. can, you know, because what a culture is, a culture grows. Yes. So what you learn as a junior doctor is what you're going to propagate. So as an intern coming into that environment, if you learn well, if you absorb that, mm. and then it doesn't matter whether you go into surgery or another department, you're only going to propagate that helpful collegial atmosphere where you encourage your colleagues because coming out of med school we're so competitive you know you rank yourself in class who's the distinction students what position were you were you in the top 10 were you in the top five and then you come to intern level and you just have to pull together as a team and there will be some people who are stronger than others that's a given but it's encouraging to hear that there's the sense of whatever you're going through you're not alone and we need to work together and we all have our strengths and weaknesses that's really encouraging i think yeah yeah so it's it's definitely something i really like to focus on and mentoring young young interns medical officers or registrars is something that we're also focusing on and it's great to see this new culture being bred in yeah and um i i think for the most part the main reason i'm speaking to you on this podcast is Mm. also to make sure that people don't get disheartened be you know wanting to do general surgery and saying oh they live and work so so yes. you know, it's 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 tough. I, I don't know how they do it. Uh, yes. Why are they so uptight and you know? But <laughs> things are changing, and people are changing, and it's encouraging because we're self-reflecting. 
there's a lot more support available. So if you're burnt out, whether you're a consultant or an intern, there's a lot of support from each other. And uh, they sh- everyone should take solace in that. Mm. And everyone that wants or is thinking about doing surgery should you know, take comfort in knowing that there is support mm. and you, you're not alone. So it's, it's, it's a fantastic thing. Surgery can be stressful. Yes. So what do you do when it is stressful? And where do you draw strength from as a leader, as an academic, as, I mean, still students. So you, even this morning you said you were reading. Yeah, at know, 5.30. Where, at 5.30 <laughs> in the morning. Where do you draw encouragement from and strength from as a, as a surgeon? Ooh, that's a bit of a difficult one. Um, I suppose the biggest thing would probably be my mother. So, you know, I think she finished her master's quite late on in mm. her in her life. She was in her 40s. And it was great to, to see her because she would work nonstop. Um, she had kids and she looked after the two of us. And my dad was there and also worked quite hard. And it was great to have that that exposure, and I suppose I emulated a lot of that, and so mm-hmm. did my sister. So it was it's it's good to have that, but at the same time you need to have a balance. So you need to have some way of de-stressing. And people have hobbies. People do a lot of stuff after work. Yeah. And you know, meeting up with friends mm-hmm. or, you know, doing whatever it is you choose to do. You know, focus on that. So work is fifty percent. Yeah. Other fifty percent is your private life, and. Or you can balance it and weigh it out as you feel necessary. And once you've done that, I, I think you've really mastered the art of finding that good balance. And um, people should not neglect their social life or private life because of their careers. Mm. Uh, because you'll be led down a very dark hole and you shouldn't try to do that. And if you feel like you're going that way, again, there, are, there is support. A lot of people have made that mistake. Um, and... Yeah, I think that's the, the most important thing is having a means of de-stressing and having a means of downtime. So when you go home, you do switch off, mm. you know, and I think that's very important. Do you have any go-tos that's for you? Like some people will say video games. or Yeah, I do. It's like when I'm on call and I'm waiting for something to happen, I'm usually playing Call of Duty. <laughs> or if I'm like waiting for something, I'm watching something on Netflix. What or, is it about surgery that's directs people to these most violent of video games. No, no, no. It's just, it's, I mean, it's just something I would play online or I'd play FIFA online yeah, or no, something. You know, I, while waiting for a case to happen, you know, I, I, I will have my downtime. I also mm. take a breather just before I do operate and try to balance myself out throughout the day. Mm. And I think that's important because um, you're going to be running up and down, working yeah, sure. hard. And again, it doesn't matter what you do. Again, to be successful at it, you have yeah. to work hard. And surgery in particular, I mean, you, it requires laser focus at some times, and you can't sustain that 24 hours a day. So it is important, like you say, to when you have your concentration times, to balance it out with times where the mind is absent. The mind yes. is just wondering, or the mind's relaxing. Relax your eyes, relax your hands. That's very encouraging to hear, Doc. And if people are interested in general surgery, or if they're interested in colorectal surgery in particular, what resources... Uh, do you have anything that you can suggest for them to start equipping themselves, start whetting their appetite for this kind of surgery? So I think YouTube is a great platform mm-hmm. to Google a lot of stuff. Or, you know, those are the two platforms I would suggest you start at. 
and you can just Google it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stuff that comes up. It's so easy to access information these days. And whether you're a student, I think up to date is a fantastic thing to have, whether it's on your phone, tablet, or your PC at home. Uh, it's a really good, resourceful place yeah. that you can find I mean, medicine is in this unique place now where all yeah. your textbooks are in your pockets and you can just access information. No, anywhere. 100%. But in terms of surgical exposure, if you don't see a lot of it, I would encourage you know people doing elective. So they're welcome to contact us and mm-hmm. if they want to come to theatre and have a look at see what we're doing, then we're more than welcome to have students coming from outside. Mm-hmm. We recently had someone that was a matric student that oh, was wow. interested in medicine that wanted to come and were shadowing us for the day. Sure. And it, it's good to to show them how, how things work and how we do things. So yes, I, I think if you're interested in surgery and general surgery, it's not a bad thing to do an elective somewhere and get some exposure and YouTube is a fantastic platform as well to to actually learn quite a bit from. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any um, exciting stories or funny stories from your time in medicine so far? Too many. <laughs> do you care to share one or two uh, without without divulging patient information? <laughs> it's gonna be a difficult one to do. But you know, you, you always have your run ins with patients mm-hmm. and you have your run ins with, with a lot of things. But not in a bad way, mm-hmm. in, in a very light light. You know, yeah. uh, there will be those days where things will go a little bit haywire. Okay. Um, but uh, some people find solace in that chaos. So yeah, I, I don't think I can label it down to one sort of surgery that went bad or, you know, like one experience that went sour. Mm. Uh, I suppose there's a lot of things. And, you know, you will make mistakes along in your career. Mm. But the most important thing is, you know, reflect back on it there's support you're going to feel bad about things when things go wrong Mm -hmm. and uh, again there's support structures available for everyone so yeah just don't be so serious about things i suppose yeah awesome that's another you um have in the pipeline um wanting to do a podcast yes wanting to educate people about colorectal surgery would you care to take a bit of time just to tell us a little bit more about that idea. I mean, it's still obviously in its infancy. It's it's something that needs to percolate a little bit. Yeah, hopefully you can give me some advice. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, on a Saturday morning, we usually run a presentation and we're inviting colorectal surgeons. In- initially, it just started with the two fellows mm-hmm. and it started to grow quite exponentially. Mm-hmm. And we've had people from Leeds come and present to us on pelvic exenterations, for example. Wow and their experience and we generally discuss patient related things or simple topics and expand on it and then have input from from uh, from various colorectal surgeons in in the province and from outside the province as well and it's it's good to have that that um, that insight you know uh, in this scenario what would you do in this scenario what would you do and, you know, people have varying opinions. And it's good to have opinions in your armamentarium mm. because then you've got options. And if all those options are safe, then I don't see what the issue is. As much as we tend to practice evidence-based medicine, if your patient is walking out of the hospital two days later with the non-evidence-based medicine and you've done a safe operation based on your experience... You're building more evidence for yes, evidence-based medicine. Exactly. So, you know, you can... It depends on experience, and a lot of guys have experience. So it's great to to start this, and it's growing. And part of the reason I went to St. Garland was to try and network, mm-hmm. to invite people and collaborate with people from outside and from other countries to invite them to this platform. 
So yeah, it's something that's in its infancy. We'll be starting again in the second week of January. So I'll be presenting um, exactly what we we did at the European Colorectal Congress in awesome. Switzerland. So yeah, I mean, please I welcome provide us with the links so we can yeah, so share that with other students. Students are welcome to join. Registrars awesome. are welcome to join. Medical officers that have some insight or some interest in it. It's usually mm-hmm. quite a funny one-hour presentation so yeah. it's we, we're not there to ask you questions and and rattle you about great things. we just present so somebody need not worry about their level of understanding a second year student would be fine because they're not going to get grilled on the spot so. no i mean it, it is advanced stuff but at the same time you know there's it's all relative mm. because something that you may think is advanced may not necessarily be advanced and mm. again Medicine in itself is something we put a lot of e- emphasis on, and it's actually a very simple, simple field to work in. Sure. You know, there's just a lot of work to get through. So when you are going to these conferences in Europe and overseas, do you find that your level of skill as a surgeon, or your level of training, I should say, is comparable? Or our surgeons that we're developing and training in Africa, would we be able to hold our heads up high with our peers overseas? Yes, Definitely. So I initially went, so this was the first time I went and I thought that what we were doing is quite rudimentary, Mm. but it turns out that we're doing quite a lot of advanced stuff in South Africa. We're seeing quite a lot of advanced pathology and it's something I think we need to work on in Mm -hmm. terms of research. Mm -hmm. So you're saying going forward in colorectal, having a database and pulling up more research so we can present at those conferences and and what we're seeing is vital Mm. and it's something that we need to look forward to in the future but definitely we're on par with first world in my opinion and um, i think having that exposure and then interacting with the profs from amsterdam and from basingstoke in the uk or you know uh, one of the the turkish uh, turkish big turkish hospitals interacting with these people was was fantastic because we got to share experiences and it it's it's not that we're doing anything rudimentary here. We're actually doing quite advanced stuff. Awesome. So I think they'll be sending some of their registrars from Belgium or the Netherlands, um, and they would like to start sending their fellows as well to do electives here. So it's good. We may actually start an exchange program, something to look forward to in the future. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think the future for colorectal surgery in South Africa is bright. Awesome. Yeah. So... If you could now speak to our audience of medical students and junior doctors, if there's anything that you'd like to communicate to um, young people, young medical um, professionals in the country, anything that you think maybe would be motivational or encouraging, um, if we need some correction in an area, um, you know, a lesson that you've learned that you want us to, to remember out of this interview. Try not to take life so seriously. Okay. Try not to take things so seriously, you know. Have a level head about things and step back when you're stressed out. It's okay to be anxious, but when you're not stressed, mm-hmm. you're not anxious. Mm-hmm. And if you have a little bit of confidence on a ward round, even if you don't know anything, just ask. <laughs> because having that, that, that anxiety disables you from actually learning. Yes. And I think it's important that young people understand that, especially students being on a round. You know, we're there to teach. It's a fantastic mm. platform to teach mm. from. And especially for registrars um, writing their exams, I think it's important to understand that teaching students is a very good way of reinforcing your 
your knowledge bases yes. or whatever it is you've learned, you know, go and find a student or an intern and teach it to them. Wow. It's something that I found uh, and I was taught by one of my profs. So, yeah. and it seems to work. Yeah, yeah we share the knowledge. Well. Yeah. well, I don't know. I did it with you when you we were in ACS <laughs> together. So, and you were my student. So, yeah, it, uh, uh, and it, it did work for me. So, that's something I would I would encourage people to do. And yeah, again, just try not to take things so seriously. Just Absolutely. have a good balanced life, and when you go home, switch off. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Thank you so much for your advice and for your inputs. Thank you, Simon. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. You've brought a fantastic perspective about colorectal surgery and general surgery in general. Uh, general surgery in general. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's been a wonderful pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for your time. Dr. Thank you very much for having me, Simon. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. You can find full links to articles and websites mentioned during our discussion in the show notes for this episode on whatever platform you're currently listening on. Thank you to our long-term partner of the Dr. Coffee podcast, Aestheticos Photography Portrait Studio. You can find links to their website and social media channels in the show notes as well. Check out their work and be sure to mention Dr. Coffee when you make a booking with them to receive 15% off the price of your photography package. If you have a suggestion of an episode topic or know of a consultant or senior registrar in a specialty that you would like featured on the Dr. Coffee podcast, please get in touch. The podcast email address is drcoffeeza at gmail.com. That's drcoffeeza with no punctuation marks. We're also on Instagram and YouTube with the username at drcoffeeza. If you've got anything else on your mind, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Please consider sharing this episode with fellow junior doctors and medical students in your world who you think would benefit from the content and enjoy it. Thank you so much for your support.